0: Welcome to the Ransomed Heart Podcast. I'm Alan Arnold, and today in the studio, I have a good friend and one of the people who really were there at the beginning when Ransomed Heart started, Morgan Snyder. Morgan, welcome.
1: Thanks, Alan. So good to be with you.
0: It is good to have you here. And what we're going to do over the next three weeks is dive into a message that really was born out of a personal passion you have. And it has revolutionized the lives of so many men. And we're going to give all listeners a chance to learn a little bit more about this. But why don't you tell the listeners how this passion was born and what it is?
1: Sure. Thank you, Alan. Boy, I am really excited that this day has finally come. In some ways, it's been over a decade in the making. This particular message is an offering of Ransom Heart found its way into our hearts somewhere around when I was turning thirty. And I was wrestling at core with some of the deep questions that every man wrestles with. Where I was longing to to build something that mattered and to spend my life, as Roosevelt said, on a worthy cause. And Alan it was interesting at that time in my life, you know, I was deeply involved in Ransom Heart. And we were leading retreats all around the world. And externally, my life looked really great. You know, I was happily married to a healthy wife and had two little kids in this birthing career. But inside, there was a lot of turmoil. There was depression, and there was this feeling of if I was very honest, life hasn't turned out the way I thought it should, or maybe it ought to turn out. Yes. And it caused a wrestling, and I'm a thirsty, intense person, and I found this question in my heart rising up of, God, help me interpret my life. Help me understand what is life like. Help me understand what is a man's life supposed to be about in this decade. And as you'll hear in the content in much more detail in the Become Good Soil Intensive collection, it sent me on a journey. And I started first asking God, and through that, he led me to ask older men. And after asking the first man, it turned into over 75 elders, men that have walked the road before me, men that are trustworthy and love God. And they started illuminating a path that I can now describe as the narrow road. But it was a path that was so contrary to the world's invitation to men. It was the paradoxes of this longing to lead and be out in front. And yet the scriptures say, first, we have to learn how to serve and to take the lowest seat until God makes it impossible to do otherwise. And the world invites us and bates us to build, to build bank accounts and build careers and build ministries and build companies. But the kingdom says, first, we need to excavate. And we need to dig. And what that journey revealed, Alan, for me, was Dallas Willard's quote. Dallas says it so succinctly. He says that the primary work of God is finding men in whom he can entrust his power. And the story of most men is being entrusted with power and that power bringing harm to themselves and those under their care. And I realized I didn't want to become a statistic. And all around me, I saw remarkable men that became statistics. You know, one of my mentors said, look out at the guys that are in their 50s and 60s and ask the question, what took them out? It was devastating to see an army of men taken out. And so it set me on this pilgrimage to find, is there another way? What is the path of becoming a son? of choosing and responding to the invitation of the narrow road, of becoming the kind of person in whom God can entrust his power. And so that was the beginning of my seeking counsel from older men and operationalized it as much as I could in my life.
0: So that's been your journey. And that's been, like you said, a pilgrimage for you to really Get the counsel of these sages, both men around you and through men from past decades and centuries in your readings. But what I love is you didn't stop there. Like it wasn't just your personal journey because now it's become something much more and it involves you going after the hearts of other men. Mm. So tell me how that's affected this mission that you're now on for other men.
1: Yes, In the early days, it was me just wrestling with my peers through all this and trying to figure out how to live in a very contrary way to the world. And over time, a lot of it was on bike rides with my buddies, just working out, you know, just the rub of this decade of life where finally one of my peers, Aaron, said, Morgan, you are sitting on gold. You have a treasure. And I work side by side with many men that are blowing up left and right. And he said, these are good men. And likewise, I was feeling the same thing, looking around at all these men building kingdoms that on the outside, it looks pretty good, but one after the other, they're getting taken out. And he said, Morgan, you have to share this. And so it started with gathering a handful of our peers for beers and pizzas on a Thursday evening. And I just read the counsel that I've received from these older men and I looked around the room and just jaws were dropped and as was mine because we realized we're on to something. So it was so beautiful to watch God's working where we chose to keep stay at the lowest seat until God made it impossible to do otherwise. So I wasn't looking to build a ministry on this, but I could sense God's invitation over years to eventually say you've got to share this. So I gathered 12 guys that were my peers. And Craig and Bart served as the elders, and we went to Bart's ranch, the Globe and Acre Ranch, and we spent a weekend and we walked through all this content and we had story groups where each man had the opportunity of receiving the honor of someone listening in love to his story. And then the peers and the elders were able to collectively turn to God on his behalf and listen to God's guidance and how to minister to him. and So each man received beautiful ministry, and that was the first year, and we've now done that for six years annually. But each year, God's matured it like a great scotch. Each year, we're able to select peers that are more and more in that demographic of young kings that long to change the world and to walk with God and to create a legacy that lasts for eternity. And what we've also been able to do now is match them up with many elders. And so we form these story groups where we have men that are in their fifties and sixties and seventies that have taken the ancient path. And we match them up with these younger guys from kind of the mid twenties to younger forties. And together We've created this intimate space that's very relationally centered of world-changing men that come to the feet of the king and learn what it is to become a son and to choose the narrow road and become the kind of king that God can entrust with his kingdom.
0: Now, as listeners are hearing this, I'm sure thousands of people are saying, okay, I want to be at the next one. Yes. And the only thing is... Not only is this done just once a year, but it's only for a small group of guys, like less than 40 guys. Right. So what we've done at Ransomed Heart is knowing how much gold is in this message, your heart, your passion, your hard-earned experience of walking with God through this season, we've decided to make a resource of it. And now anybody can not only listen to it, it's audio, but it's also video of you from the last Become Good Soil Intensive. So what listeners are going to hear today is part of a session, your first session in the last Become Good Soil intensive. And I think, listeners, you're going to love this because as you listen to Morgan's words, just picture this is in a camp away from everything, rustic, beautiful mountains, woods, streams going by. And these men have been pulled from their normal world where they're very much high achievers into a place where they can take the lowest seat at the table, where they can learn what it means to become good soil. So here we go, Morgan, teaching on Become Good Soil.
1: I want to give you a little background about this retreat and the intensive and how it started. I was 22. It was um, 16 years ago. And I'd been a believer for several years, became a believer in college, and then moved west and ended up studying under John supernaturally under this college program and he laid out the gospel based on wild at heart and sacred romance and i remember it was the first time in my life that all of these desires in me fit into one story these desires for god and his life and to be a good man and to be fully masculine and to be free and alive and whole in something far more than church and it was all there and i remember i went to his office and i said john I'm in. I'm in. Like, what do I do? Sign me up. And he looked at me and, and he said, well, what are your questions? And I said, I, I have no idea what my questions are. And he said, that's okay. He it's a, said, it's true discipleship is completely formed by the questions. And so ask God, what are the questions? And come back to me when you have questions. So that was 16 years ago, and I quickly came back with a few and started interning for him at that time. And And what happened at 22 was I gave myself permission to be young for the first time. All my life chased leadership out of this deep need to validate the invalidated places. And when I came into this gospel, God began to heal me enough and put me under good men that I actually gave myself permission to be young and enter a time of training. And so for the first time, I carried water and took the back seat. It was really holy. And then I, I hit thirty and you know, externally, top of the iceberg, things were looking pretty awesome. I was part of the core team at Ransom Heart and beautiful wife and healthy at the time and two children and you know, it's pretty great life. But internally when I was honest in my quiet moments, I could feel the rumblings of deep frustration, depression, anger And even the shame of, I ought to be, I ought to be a lot happier than I am. And Sherry even said to me, like, you lost your smile. Like, where'd that go? And the the stories I have from high school and the crazy things we did. And a lot of it was just crazy. But there was a layer of genuine joy of these men that I did life with. And I lost that all and just got serious and intense in this mission And so I said, God, I need interpretation. I'm 30, and I do not know how to interpret my life. And so will you speak to me? And he didn't. And for two weeks, I asked him every day, and for two weeks, it was just silence. And now as I look back, I realize he wanted me to feel the pain so that I could truly receive his life into that place. And after two weeks, he took me into Jeremiah 6, where it says, stand at the crossroads and look and ask for ancient paths, ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you'll find rest for your souls. In the message, Peterson says, go stand at the crossroads and ask directions for the old road, the tried and true road. And God said, here's the deal. I want to speak to you, but I want to do it through men. I need you to start asking men, because something drifted where I only asked questions to John and and wasn't asking as many, and he said, I want you to ask older men. Find men that you trust.'" that you respect, that are as old as you can find, and ask them, where do I find life? And start with confession. Start with, it's not going so well. So I wrote this letter, contacted a lot of the men in this room, and said, I'm sideways, and I don't know why. My internal world does not match my external. I need an interpretation. And God began doing something pretty miraculous. About every two weeks, I'd end up receiving counsel from one of these men. It was through a conversation, through a phone call through a lunch, and and each would have this just beautiful kingdom nugget that I felt like the Father let me live in for about two weeks and chew on these things. And a few conversations turned into dozens, turned into about 75 men that I sat under over years. And all this time, Aaron McHugh, we had just pounded out on the bike or running and just and wrestle with these themes. And he's talking about his guys at work. He's in a secular software world, and I'm talking about the ministry world, and talking about all these other young men in their roughly young 30s with young kids and young careers and young marriages, and we realized these universal struggles and these universal pieces that a man needs started surfacing, and we realized this goal that God was trying to speak to this complete reorientation of what we thought the decade was about And yet all the while it's this season of training and and lowest seat at the table. Um, Francis Schaeffer has this great writing, The Lord's Work in the Lord's Way, where he says, if you want to truly do God's work, you have to take the lowest seat at the table until God makes it impossible to do otherwise. That's not a world model. That is not a world model. But God gave us that early in our years. And so we kind of turned it on its head and, and rolled the dice and tried it out. So, We said, we are only going to do what's impossible. And finally, through Aaron, God just said, it is impossible not to share this because you're now like sitting on these nuggets that would save the lives of the men I work with every day that are losing their families and losing their marriages. And so we got guys together for pizza one night and beers, and and I just kind of typed out all these guys' content and just read these notes. And I looked up at the end and everyone had their jaws dropped and I had my jaws dropped and we just could feel the presence of God it was really holy because it felt like the Father was truly coming to us through the company of men, showing us the tried and true road, showing us the ancient path. So fast forward, we felt like God through Bart and Craig said, it's time for you guys to share this with others. And we got to Bart's ranch and grabbed 12 of our peers. And and Bart and Craig were the sages. And we went through the content and and did some story groups, and went through our stories, and and it was just unbelievable what God did in fathering us through this decade, and allowing us to completely reorient, and have such deep joy in it, and confidence in it. So that was five years ago, and what happened then during those years was we realized, okay, we're bringing these peers together that are truly kingdom men, but what if we actually brought the sages, So we have these young kings. And what if we brought the older kings that are sages together? And we sat like life on life in their council and in their presence and that they led us. And we weren't just orphans, but God was leading us. And five years later, you're sitting, you attendees are sitting among those facilitators that are all on the ancient road, the tried and true road, the gray hair in the room. Like these guys have lived it and they're here for you. And it's pretty spectacular what we get to be a part of, all of us, this weekend. So I put out a survey for them to get some background so that I could kind of grab some nuggets of context for them. And I was cranking through emails last year, and, and then I got to this one email that had kind of all these responses consolidated from these guys. And it was like going from drinking cheap beer, like ice house is my value beer. So it's like drinking all these ice houses, to like getting to like single malt scotch. And I sat and I'm listening to just decades and decades and decades of trial and wisdom and to think that these men are offering their hearts for us. I want to read to you just some of their story. They've suffered and they've kept heart. Rather, they've invited God to restore their hearts as men. They've lost sons and daughters. They've lost them to death in this world. They've lost marriages to infidelity and divorce and death. They've had marriages restored over the long, narrow road. They've built and lost fortunes and companies and churches and careers, gone to prison and forced into resignation. They've walked away from fortunes and risked moving away from safety and control They've battled countless bouts of depression, addiction, drugs, alcohol, beyond. They've fought cancer. Several of them are still battling cancer today. Bankruptcy, unemployment, abandonment. have been through life-threatening accidents and suffered permanent disabilities. Lost lifelong friendships. Lost their integrity. And they've gotten it back. You guys, these men represent all sorts of careers, software, Professors, CPAs, lawyers, real estate developers, counselors, leaders of nonprofits and for profits and churches, entrepreneurs, medicine, horsemanship. But here's the deal none of these guys are professional ministers. They're sons and they're men. And they are fiercely committed to the restoration of the hearts of God's men their own heart, your hearts, the hearts of others. They're good kings. You know, they're good sages. You know a good father when he cares more about your heart than your gifting. That's why these guys are here. They have mentors, and they're still asking questions. They're here to receive as well. What's so cool about the intensive is there's not a single passive seat, and everybody gives and everyone receives. And that's how the kingdom moves so powerfully in these weekends. Every one of you will give, and receive, and so will they. They're still asking questions. They're the first to admit that they don't have it figured out, but their hearts are open, and they're rare. They've fought for me a lot, saved my marriage, my kids, helped me walk away from so much posing, still helping me. Thank you, facilitators. Thank you. Thank you for being here. And now, what is this decade? So what is this commonality, other than you're among peers? Well, you think about the season we've come out of, okay? I think the best way to name it would be exploration and discovery. The season of the teens to 20s, maybe even early 30s, where life's really about me. It's a pretty narcissistic decade, and that's not necessarily sin. It's narcissism because I'm the center of my universe. I'm the center of my story, Quite apart from how good or noble that story is, some of the images that come to mind that I just love, um, one of them is okay, picture this young women carrying full size pillows in airports, right? That's exploration discovery. That's not our lives, right? I totally sketchily took this picture. I'm like kind of acting like I'm texting, but I'm like, I, I've seen her for years. And I didn't notice her when I was in my 20s, but now I'm like, are you kidding? Car seats? and kids, I've got barf on this shoulder, and this woman I married over here, and we're going to her in-laws for vacation time, and she has like a full-size pillow? I have a pink diaper bag, you know, but that's the 20s, right? There's a shift, and here's the shift, you guys, from exploration, discovery, to your life matters to other people. That's the sobriety, okay? Your life matters to other people, and your decisions have deep consequences. That's the shift. And so often it happens around a big career coupled, like a career move that coupled with marriage and with children coming. Those are usually kind of the big whammies that throw you, that catapult you out of the center of your story. And this matador quote that Craig used, I love. The 20s is guys that want to be a matador. and, And this is the quote. So there are many people who think they want to be a matador. And then they find themselves in the ring with 2,000 pounds of bull bearing down on them. And they discover that what they really wanted was to wear tight pants and hear the roar of the crowd. <laughs> right? Everyone wants to be that guy. You know? Like, uh, until there's 2,000 pounds of bull coming to you. I mean, after one intensive, this facilitator sent me this next picture that's just brutal. And, uh, He's getting gored, and there's the horn going through, right? That's what it's like to wear tiny pants and hear the roar of the crowd. It's a sober shift. The, the 20s is about exclamation points. We have all the answers. In the early 30s, and when we're the center of the story, we have answers, exclamation points. And then comes a day where you have the courage to exchange those for question marks because the exclamation points aren't working. You're not really finding life, and you're not finding how to make it last. Margins evaporate. You know, money, it's never enough. Time, it's never enough. This wife, this beautiful gal you married, all of a sudden is really, really, really broken, and you think it's all her stuff. These kids show up, and part of life is behind you that you can't get back, and so you feel the weight of consequences. There's very little pause and time to stop but the suffering is nagging at your heels because you've suffered. By this time, you suffered. And even some of you that suffered brutally in your childhood, you now have the maturity of personhood to deal with the suffering. And so it's as though you're suffering for the first time because it's surfacing itself. Your brokenness catches up with you because you no longer can live a sloppy life. Your demons prevail in different instances, and the poser doesn't work. It's less and less efficient to produce the life it used to. But it's such a whirlwind that what we do is we set off to build stuff. Okay, so that's the reaction. We go building things. What I want to suggest is it's not a bad thing at all. It's actually a kingdom thing. Where we take it's another story. But we were designed to build we are designed to rule. It is the core of our DNA. I mean, just look at little boys. I have a son, Joshua Abigail, who turned seven last week, and Joshua turned 10 today. When he was a little guy, I said, Joshua, what do you want to be for Halloween? And he said, I want to be a hazmat fire rescue fighter. And I thought, that is really cool. I have no idea what that is, but that is really cool. And so we, you know, cut mom's garden hose and grabbed all my bike lights and our climbing harness and and made all this custom gear for him, and and he went around. he never trick-or-treated before, and so the first house we went to, the woman answered, and and she looked at him, and she's waiting for him to say trick-or-treat, and he looked at her, and he just said, Fire! And he just sprayed her down, and that's my hazmat fire rescue fighter. And now he's 10, and he's this big dude. And um, so they had Roman Day at their school this last fall, so they could dress as anyone Roman. And so most everyone were plebeians, and so you have all these kind of skinny... Awkward kids with bed sheets and leaves in their hair. Joshua wanted to be a gladiator, so he dressed up as a gladiator. So uh, we made this custom suit of armor, and I drop him off at school. We don't have buses. It's, it's carpool, So I drop him off, and they're all these plebeians. And he gets out of my truck, and he steps up, and they literally, like, parted. And I just, I just, something in me went, if I get hit by a car, like, he's good. He's good. He's got it. He, because he's like a little me without all the shame, all the fear, all the demons. He's a free heart. And and I know it won't stay away forever, but he's free today. He knows he's powerful. He longs to be powerful. And in the story, that was our assignment. I mean, it's so easy for the religion to just pile, dog pile it. But to remember, God said, let's make man in our image, the image of the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit in our likeness. And I want him to rule. I want him to rule over the sea and the birds, the air, the livestock, over all the creatures. And so God did it. He made man in his image. He created them male and female. And he blessed them. And he said, be fruitful and increase. Rule the earth. In other words, exercise my image over all the earth. Subdue it. Rule over the sea, the birds of the air, over every living thing. He said, over every tree, over every beast, over the birds of the air, over everything that moves on the ground. Rule over everything that has breath in it, the breath of life. God saw everything he did. God saw his command for us to rule. And he said, it's good. It's really good. This is before the fall. See, we have to understand what life was intended to be before the fall. And it's so common in this world, to start with sin and to start with brokenness. One of my mentors had me do this great exercise. It's our marriage counselors. And they said, take Genesis before the fall. Three months, every day, read Genesis 1 and 2 and ask God the question, meditate on what was his intention? What was his design? Because that's what we're trying to recover. Base your theology there. Base your theology on before the fall. And he meant for us to rule And I really appreciate in Waking the Dead when John unpacks ruling. He says, it's like a foreman running a ranch or a skipper who runs a ship. It's like, better yet, it's a king ruling a kingdom. He appoints us as governors of his domain. We are created to be kings of the earth. And the Hebrew scholar Robert Alter looked long and hard at the passage, mining it for riches. And he said, the idea of rule means to exercise a fierce mastery. Dallas Willard says, we all have a kingdom. We all have a kingdom. The kingdom is simply the range of our effective will, where what we want done is done. The discipleship that we're being invited to is an ever-increasing kingdom. God has a kingdom, and he's looking for us to be his king's to rule a fierce mastery. Dallas says that this is the core of the likeness of the image of God in us, and the basis of the destiny for which we were formed. Not just the destiny on earth, but our destiny for eternity. We are meant to rule a portion of his kingdom forever. And so what I want to start with is, it is his design. It is his desire, and it is his intention. And I want these three words to sink deep into your heart as we kind of introduce the weekend, that it is God's design, it is God's desire, and it's God's intention for you to rule, to build, and to be entrusted with a portion of his kingdom.
0: Okay, Morgan, we're stopping here just for time, but that's not the end of the session, right?
1: It really is challenging to hit pause when you just feel like we're just getting into this. But yes, there is more.
0: So join us next week and we'll continue this message for the next two weeks of Become Good Soil, the intensive. And just a reminder, this is something we're playing an excerpt of here, but the full resource is available at RansomedHeart.com backslash Become Good I wish you could see this. I know it's a podcast, but... This is a wood box set that has engraved into it the Become Good Soil image. Inside is a flash drive. It has all of the sessions from the entire intensive on audio and video. And it includes something else, Morgan. I think you might want to tell them that.
1: Yeah, it was really exciting. We put together a custom engraved Kershaw folding knife which is part of the box collection. And as you get into the material, you will soon find out why we're giving that to you.
0: So go to ransomedheartcom backslash becomegoodsoil. See you next week.